0: This is a Main Hustle Media podcast. It sounds like one of the names they would have for a monarch. It's like Queen <laughs> Javier the first, <laughs> Black Radical Queer, among <laughs> <laughs> queer Negro women. <laughs> All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. Hey, stay locked in with your favorite lesbian Black Radical Queer, yo. Yeah. Hey y'all, this is Javia Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hey y'all, this is Javia Nicole. Welcome to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, for joining me, all that good stuff. So, um, today is a solo episode. Um, I actually do intend to follow it up uh, later on down the line with an episode where I can have some guests, but it's just something that I wanted to bring to you all um, and just kind of share my thoughts on it and hopefully get some feedback from you all about what you think about it and we can always circle back to it. So of course it's Black History Month and so I've been doing a lot of reflecting um, just on my people Um, things we've gone through, just our history, my personal history, as well as the history of my ancestors and my family and uh, the way that those things are connected and intertwined. And something that came to mind for me um, is this concept of generational trauma or intergenerational trauma or historical trauma. And it's something that I want to talk about because I think that as we are, you know, reflecting on black history and stuff like that, having that, um, intergenerational and historical trauma is a huge part of our history, um, because of the different types of oppression that we have, uh, that we have experienced, that our ancestors experienced, that our parents and our families and everything have experienced. So, um, really looking at that, looking at that trauma and kind of what that looks like, is also a part of our history as black people. so first, I just want to, I guess talk a little bit about what what that even means. like what is intergenerational trauma, what is historical trauma? And um, because it's something that is pretty interesting to me, And what made me think of it is that, um, so as y'all know, like you know, I deal with my mental health stuff, um, and I went back to therapy, and um, when I was in therapy you know, my therapist started asking me about my, my, uh, family because, you know, we were just talking about my background and my experience with my mental health. And, um, he was saying that, um, he was like, okay, so let's look back and, you know, kind of talk about your family because he basically was trying to, to, uh, situate my mental health in like a broader context. He was trying to, uh, think about like, Hey, is there some, uh, this like biological component? Is there uh kind of like a nature and nurture? Like what impact does nature have? What impact does nurture have? You know, what was your family life? Like what have your, you know, your, uh, those before you, like what they go through type of thing. So we started talking about my grandmother and my mother, and I just started making like some connections I had already made between like my experience and my mother's experience. Um, but, I just started making more connections as I talked about it with him and just thinking about, you know, the recent uh, passing of my grandmother and kind of the things I've been reflecting on as a result of that. And also, I'm talking to my mother about mental health and both of us uh, navigating our mental health journeys and treatment and stuff like that and having very similar uh, diagnoses. So, and as someone who works in mental health care, um, I... I don't know. I just kind of, I, I find myself, um, just reflecting on those things and analyzing kind of the experiences of, of me and my mother and my grandmother and looking at those generations. Um, so yeah, so that has, is something that, you know, I've always been interested in, but that has more recently come back to the forefront for me as I, uh, got back into therapy and, you know, after, um, uh, my mom doing her own mental health treatment stuff and like my grandmother passing. It's just something I've been thinking a lot about. So um, I'll give you kind of a, I guess, a definition of what I'm talking about. So if you want to do your own research, you can either look for intergenerational trauma, transgenerational trauma, historical trauma. So intergenerational trauma and transgenerational trauma are the same thing. It's just different ways of saying the same thing. And that's basically trauma that is passed down from generation to generation. So it's looked at in a familial context. So like I was talking about, you know, my grandmother, my mother, and me looking at us, you know, us as three generations of women in my family and the trauma we've experienced and just looking at how certain things are passed down. Um, those things that are passed down can be specific trauma. It can be coping mechanisms for the trauma. Um, so I'll give an example. I was reading, uh, about like a case study cause I was, you know, doing a bunch of research and stuff like that. But this woman was saying that she was treating a family. It, this was like a, um, a social worker working with the family. You had the parent, the grandparent, the parent, and the child who had all been basically, uh, molested by the same person. So, um, and so the issue, well, of course that in and of itself is an issue, but one of the things was that, you know, they like, let's say for, so the grandmother, the grandmother was abused by this person. Let's just say it was, um, the grandfather. So the grandmother was abused by this person and then, you know, went on to see like the daughter be abused. And so kind of seeing those initial pa- patterns and habits, uh, form between the grandfather, between, you know, the grandfather and the child, but the the grandmother as someone who's been abused because she has trauma like that hasn't been dealt with there are certain either warning signs that she's not noticing or she's noticing warning signs and is unable to act because of her trauma like her, her trauma is paralyzing or it causes her to like rationalize or just causes her to not um be able to stop that cycle and then the same thing happening uh with the next generation or something Uh, A way that it can come across, like I mentioned, with coping mechanisms, it can come across, it can be transferred through the parenting style. So you have folks who, let's say someone was abused and then they become a parent and then they're hyper vigilant, overprotective, very, like keep their child very sheltered. And so that, that's how they're transmitting that trauma in their parenting. So then the child grows up a certain way and then they go on to perpetuate that. And that was another another case that um that i read about where um this the the uh doctor herself actually was saying that she recognizes that like her mother her mother was in a foster care system and went through a hell of a time like it was just really really traumatic so when she had her own children she was hyper protective hyper vigilant um very involved and immersed in their lives like to an unhealthy degree, uh, didn't really give them much room for uh, freedom or just their individuality and all that kind of stuff. But she also was not very affectionate, not very verbally or physically affectionate. Um, and so the doctor was saying that she noticed that about herself, that because she that's how she grew up and that's what she's used to, she finds it very hard herself to express physical or verbal affection to her son so she can you know express affection like through gifts and cards and stuff like that but she finds it very hard to be very physically affectionate like uh hug a lot or you know just say i love you a lot and things like that and she was said she didn't get that from her mother so and her mother didn't get that cuz she was in the foster care system so that is trauma that has been transmitted through the generations because of those experiences now That is, that's like one type of, um, I guess, broad scale trauma, but then you have historical trauma. So that's like people who, um, are part of a specific, like marginalized group that are carrying some sort of collective trauma. So for example, um, for black folks, um, the, us carrying the trauma of slavery and the slave trade, uh, because that's something that our ancestors went through or for, uh, native American people, carrying the trauma of their ancestors being decimated by sickness, um, by, or, you know, people who are descendants of folks who dealt, who went through the Holocaust is like those major, and those aren't the only instances, you know, cause basically any group that has gone through some type of, um, collective trauma, so war, you know, you look in, um, look at apartheid, look at look at human trafficking or just any, any cultures, any, uh, groups, you know, populations that you can look at that have gone through some type of collective traumatic event, then that has that a potential to lead to a historical trauma where, you know, it's like it informs how, uh, how the people that are part of their group, a part of that group, look at themselves, how they are situated in a societal context. So. Because of, you know, like as black people, we still deal with the the impacts, the effects of slavery today. And that is because of a result of historical trauma. So we may not be, it may not look the way it looked at that time, but we are still dealing with the consequences of that and the repercussions of it and the system set in place and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's looking at it um, in a historical, like situating it in a historical context. So these things are important because you know, when I look at, of course, the show is Black, Radical, Queer, right? And so a lot of times I use that, those words as like a framework to, uh, look at things and to, uh, kind of situate things in. And I think this is this whole concept of, um, these broad scale, uh, manifestations of trauma is no different. So as black people, we have, intergenerational trauma you know transgenerational trauma as well as historical trauma as radical people when we look at um how people who have dared to uh go against the status quo who have dared to speak out who've dared to um be rebellious politically rebellious or whatever in some kind of way we have seen them be strategically targeted we have seen um you know them be vilified um be murdered and those kinds of things. Um, so we see how that's responded to. So black folks deal with that trauma, um, as radical black people are just radical um, people. We deal with that trauma and as queer people, because we see the systematic, um, targeting of queer people, um, the rampant homophobia and transphobia that you know our that we you know witness in our society and things like that, so in every one of those regards as black people as radical people as queer people, we experience that intergenerational trauma as well as the historical trauma um because we just it's kind of like we're we're navigating those things concurrently as we go through our lives so and then we factor in intersectionality because it's not like we're navigating these things individually. So me as a black radical queer person, I am I carry the trauma of black people, you know, both intergenerationally as well as historically. I carry the trauma of radical people when I look at um kind of like what has happened to let's say like the targeting of the Black Panther Party, the assassinations of prominent uh, political figures and stuff like that. When I look at those things, so that's also trauma. And that's also, um, you know, kind of the way that I navigate what it means for me to be radical is situated in that context. Like I can't separate it from, uh, the past and then queerness. Um, I mean, black trans women are still, uh, you know, the most targeted group and are being, being wiped out, you know, it's really ridiculous. Being murdered, and um so we have, and that's been happening for you know years and years. So it's all these different types of targeting um because of intersectionality. Like we're targeted like for all kinds of reasons. It's like with the situation that j- just happened with Jesse Smollett, um, and some people tried to say, oh well, he was targeted because he was a gay man. He was targeted because he was a black man. Those things are intersecting. He cannot separate one from the other. They are both who he is. So, and we are targeted for our intersections, you know, we're so it's hard for, we can't really escape that reality. Um, And so I think it's very important for us to be mindful of that because, you know, when it comes to intergenerational trauma, transgenerational trauma, whichever, we, it's something that we perpetuate. We may not even realize that we're perpetuating it. Um, And because some things are so ingrained, um, it's just, we're so used to being that way. And so for me personally, I recognize like certain, uh, for me personally, I recognize certain like coping mechanisms or just ways that I communicate or ways that I don't communicate or just how I survive. (laughs) And I see the similarities between like my mother and I and between like me, my mother and my grandmother and some of those mechanisms that have been passed down that I'm now having to interrogate that my mother is now having to interrogate that we didn't even really know until we had a conversation and we're like, Hey, like I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with depression or whatever. And for us to both get, you know, go to seek mental health care and both get basically the same diagnoses of depression and PTSD. And I'm like, that's not a coincidence. It can't be a coincidence that we have both have these things. Um, it just can't be. And then looking back at my grandmother and. Things that she went through, and I don't know if she was um, ever formally diagnosed with depression. I think maybe she was when my aunt passed. I'm not for certain, honestly. But as someone who, you know, this is like my field, mental health is my field, human services is my field, I absolutely recognize that she was depressed. I know from both sides. I know as a depressed person, <laughs> um, and I know as someone who um, you know, has worked with depressed people that she absolutely dealt with depression. And, um, and then, you know, my mother and then me, and I don't think, I just think there's no way that can be a coincidence. And I think that is the combination of that intergenerational trauma, um, and those coping mechanisms that are passed down and like, you know, the way that we deal with stuff or whatever, where, um, at this time now we're trying to, my mother and I are trying to Unpack that and not perpetuate, not continue to perpetuate that. You know, trying to really unpack uh, that trauma and the ways that we've dealt with it, and then, but at the same time, we still exist in this historical context. We're still situated within a society that uh, continues to oppress us, and so that's something to contend with. You know, um, that's a lot to process through and to actually navigate, and we don't get we don't get to step away from it and process it and then come back to it and navigate it. Like we're just navigating it on a day-to-day basis because even if we were to stay in the house and say, I'm not going to go anywhere, I'm not going to deal with anybody. You're still, you still have food, clothing, shelter, and we still have barriers or, you know, things that hinder our procurement of those things. So we can't escape we can't escape, um, oppression. So it's something that I think we have to be mindful of and really like look at what are the things that are perpetuated in our families? Like what, what does the intergenerational trauma look like for us as black people, um, as people of color, as queer people, as women, as trans people, as non-binary people, like gender non-conform, like what do those things look like? Because if we, we're so used to just functioning and kind of going in autopilot, we don't realize it. And so I think that it's important for us to have conversations with our families about like what our, what those who came before us, what they went through, getting to know what is the mental health, uh, kind of like, what does the mental health of your grandparents, great grandparents, parents, you know, that kind of thing What does their mental health look like? What types of things do they deal with? When we look at um, going to the doctor and stuff like that and they ask you about medical history and they ask you about your family's medical history, they ask about physical things. Does your family have a history of heart disease or diabetes or high blood pressure or cancer or all those kind of things, but the mental health aspect of that is just as important because if your family has a history of anxiety or PTSD or depression, then you can have a disposition a predisposition to that just like you can to asthma, heart disease, whatever. Um and for me personally, that has been the more that's been what's more pressing. Like my grandmother had a bunch of health issues in terms of like heart issues and all that kind of stuff, but I haven't had those issues. I haven't had the heart issues, the blood pressure, the diabetes or any of that. But the mental health, <laughs> absolutely. I'm carrying that. Um, but as I, since I'm an adult now <laughs> and I've been, you know, trying to unpack some things I don't want for me, like, I don't want that to be the legacy. I don't want for like, um, trauma to be my birthright. I don't want trauma to be, um, uh, what I take on and what I pass down. I want to be a parent and I don't want to, uh, inadvertently you know, pass along my trauma to my child. I don't know if it's 100% unavoidable. I don't, and I know that it wasn't something that like for me, I know it wasn't something that was intentionally passed down. Um, but I just look at my life and my mother's life and kind of, as we talk about our experiences and we have so many parallels that we didn't necessarily know about until I was an adult or until I was older. And so I'm like, there has to be something that can be unpack there so that we can, um, not continue the same. Cause w- the defense mechanism is like autopilot. We, we push we push through regardless. It's like, okay, we got stuff to do. We're going to do it regardless and not really s- being still allowing ourselves to feel what we feel and processing through it and actually like getting help and doing all that stuff. We just go, go, go. And I, I absolutely see that myself. I absolutely saw it in my mother. So it's like, I know that these things exist. And I do not want to pass that along to my child, Um, and so that's why it's something that I'm trying to really interrogate and unpack now, and figure out different ways to you know to navigate that instead of kind of that autopilot go 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 type of thing. And my mother's doing the same thing, but it's it's a very deliberate effort. Um, So yeah, so during this Black History Month, um, you know, of course we talk a lot about um, oh these are things that these people created. These are things that, um, you know, black folks invented or blah, blah, blah. All those things are important. Absolutely. So, um, it's definitely not my, not my goal to diminish any of that. Um, my thing is, as we think about all the things that our people have done, the advances they made, the inventions they made, the intellectual things they contributed, um, to society, we also are looking at that in the context of this nuanced multifaceted trauma. We're looking at it in the context of the intergenerational trauma that they um experienced and that we still carry as well as the historical con- the historical trauma that they were operating with and still, you know, making these ridiculously significant contributions to this world um to to society that did not value them, society that that did not honor them that was, you know, society that is just a a damn trigger that, you know, is a source of trauma. Um, and that is another component too. When we look at kind of just the history of black people, we have always had to, uh, persevere and, um, kind of make a way out of no way in the midst of enormous oppression and trauma and, um, negativity, um, hindrances, roadblocks, all those kinds of things. That's, that is a part of our historical trauma is that we've always kind of done whatever we, we've always lived our lives, whatever that looks like. We've always lived our lives in the context of trauma, oppression, being targeted, being decimated. You know, like though, it is really, you know, it, it can sound like this big grandiose thing, you know, when you think about like, historical trauma intergener- like it can sound like this kind of like, almost kind of sort of abstract but to me it's like it's so not abstract the concept is so not abstract at all because this is literally the things that uh impact our day-to-day lives um it can be overwhelming like when i think about it the concept of it to me is incredibly massive which can be overwhelming it is crazy to me to think about to really put our lives in the historical context and kind of like, hey, we're still, you know, living and working and loving and doing all this stuff in the midst of uh extreme circumstances that have gone on for generations. It blows my mind. So it's like on one hand, it, almost, it seems like larger than life, like this very lar- like, uh, thing that's kind of hard to contain and hard to quite grasp. And on the other hand, it's very, very real because this is like, these are the things that impact our day-to-day lives. Um So that's why... Is something that I wanted to bring up. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to have a conversation with other people about, um, their understanding of kind of these types of trauma and how they impact us. I know for me, it's something that I'm unpacking on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's very difficult because it's, it's so huge. It's just so big. um, it is hard for me to fully wrap my mind around it. Like I get it from a intell- from an intellectual, logical, you know, standpoint, like an academic standpoint, whatever. But when I think about the repercussions of it mentally and emotionally, um, that is the part that's harder for me to wrap my mind around because it's, it's just, it's very overwhelming. And that's honestly a big part of, The work that I'm doing when I look at my own personal kind of like therapy and my personal mental health journey, you know, my therapist read me (laughs) um, and was saying that, you know, he was like, well, you have this, um, you're really good at intellectualizing things. And so for me, um, I do that because it helps me to have it helps me to kind of take a step back and process through things without being emotionally reactive. Um, but what he was saying was that you know it has become a defense mechanism, so instead of it just being like a part of my process, it's become my process, and then I don't allow myself to um fully feel or fully express. Like, I know I'll know how I feel, but I won't necessarily express, like, if I'm feeling angry or it's especially when it comes to anger, I won't necessarily express it. Um, I just kind of try to take a step back and look at the bigger picture or whatever, and kind of look at it through a lens of logic. Um, and that's a defense mechanism. But my thing is we are so accustomed to dealing with the stuff that we deal with that it's a common defense mechanism. Like we just kind of look at it like, Oh, it is what it is. You know, we have all these expressions and these sayings and stuff that really, um, that really are just expressions of the way that we cope and that's one of the things that we do is we we, we kind of take a step back and we're like, okay, this just is what it is. So that we can keep pushing forward so that we don't get stuck. So that we don't, you know, stop in that moment and really fully feel the anger or the sadness or whatever it is, the fear, and get stuck in it. And I know, um, so that's something that I definitely carry. And I know that's something that is um, intergenerational as well as, as well as historical. So it's a lot, you know, and to me, a lot of times it can really sound like a bunch of fancy abstract shit, but I know that it's not like this is having real everyday repercussions, you know, in my life. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's intense (laughs) y'all. Um, so Anyway, let me, um, I, I did some research. So I had like pulled aside a few little, um, things or whatever that I felt like were just informational or whatever in regards to intergenerational trauma slash transgenerational trauma and historical trauma. Um, I hope that, you know, that y'all can really look into it and see, what it means to you and like kind of, yeah. Like what your take on all of this is. Okay. So I'm looking at, um, I'm just going to read off some stuff. So this is, um, if you just look up, um, generational trauma, one of the first things that's going to pop up is Wikipedia, right? So on Wiki, this is saying transgenerational trauma is trauma that is transferred from the first generation of trauma survivors, to the second and further generations of offspring and the survivor of the survivors via complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Complex PTSD. So of course, like earlier in the episode, I talked about, I gave like, you know, little quick definitions or whatever, but, um, I wanted to mention this one specifically, um, because it talks about complex PTSD. Um, or you could, or it, it can be called complex trauma disorder, but, Yeah, Um, so complex PTSD is a psychological disorder that can develop in response to prolonged, repeated experience of interpersonal trauma in a context in which the individual has little or no chance of escape. Okay, so just imagine how many of us (laughs) are walking around with like complex PTSD because we're oppressed people, you know. Just because of the structure of marginalization is very, it's like, you know, it's hard to, when you're, when you've been oppressed for so long, it's hard for you to imagine not being oppressed. You know, it's hard for you to actually see a legitimate way out. And so if you feel like, hey, this is the way things are always going to be, then that's, that's a type of trauma. It's like, you have no, uh, no possibility of escape from it. Right. So And that's definitely something that we're dealing with, um, in regards to systemic oppression. So yeah, that definitely, um, is, is intense. (laughs) Um, so I would suggest, you know, if you want to do a little research, like definitely look up complex PTSD, um, look up, which is, you know, part of what I got going on (laughs) as, as I found out. Um, so complex PTSD, transgenerational trauma, intergenerational trauma. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really real. Um, I think that another thing too, something that was interestingly brought up in doing all my reading, um, one, this doctor, I wish I remember her name. Uh, I will have to try to search and find cause I read so much stuff, but this one doctor was saying that. She also felt, she felt like the term trauma was something that was very, um, essentially very white (laughs) and that it wasn't necessarily a culturally competent term because that's not how black people, um, in particular and kind of people of color in general, that's not how we look at our experiences. We look at them in a more, like I was saying, like, this is what it is type of way. So we don't look at it. From the perspective of like this is trauma like that's not how we that's not the language we would use it's basically what she was saying is that um that this kind of thought process lacks some cultural competency because it's not um being mindful of like the language that we would actually use and so i was thinking about that but i'm like i don't know what language we would use other than just saying hey this is just how things are this is how it's always going to be but that is absolutely complex ptsd Um, you know, so I, I don't know what other language to utilize to, you know, kind of make it, I guess, more culturally competent or culturally inclusive or whatever, but it is definitely this, um, cycle of trauma that, you know, we have going on. So I think it's important that we, you know, really interrogate it and, um, you know, kind of figure out how can we stop perpetuating it? Um, or how can we start like working on that? Because I feel like it'll take, you know, a long time. Cause this is years and years and generations and generations of this. Um, you know, like for instance, people, when you look at like oral tradition, you know, passing down stories and all kinds of stuff from generation to generation, that's one of the ways that trauma is also passed down, you know? So, um, but at the same time we, can't just like not share our stories. I mean that's so it's like it's so uh weaved into just our natural way of life. Like part of culture is like sharing of those stories. Um part of you understanding who you are in this world, who you come from, you know, that type of stuff is situated in you uh getting knowledge, information from the stories that are told to you, but those things also carry trauma. So it becomes it's this very, um, ingrained thing because it becomes a part of just who we are as people, you know, it becomes ingrained in us and just, it's just how we're used to things being. Um, and so to me, it's a very, um, intimidating thing to address. Like it's very intimidating to really sit and think about it and unpack it and that kind of thing. And so it's something I'm struggling with But I still think it's important that we have those conversations. I know for me, it has definitely been helpful to talk to my mother about um, things she's gone through and things I've gone through and us really kind of comparing notes like, damn, you know, looking at the parallels um, and talking about my grandmother and things she's gone. You know, just it's been helpful because it does help to give me perspective on it. It helps me not feel alone because there are some things I had gone through that I thought it was just me. And so I felt very isolated. And that's a part of that defense, you know, part of the defense mechanism, especially when you intellectualize things, as I've learned um, and as I'm learning, you know, part of it is that it can be incredibly isolating Um, because since I felt like it was just me, I'm like, you know, trying to step back from it, um, almost disassociate from it to an extent, look at it through this lens of logic and be like, okay, this is what happened. Look at it matter-of-factly so that I can kind of process it and keep it moving and not have to just really sit with it for too long because then I feel like, okay, that now I'm stuck and I got stuff to do, you know? So it's, it's a, it's an intimidating thing to confront, (laughs) but I recognize the, the value of doing it. And I've, and I do feel, uh, somewhat better, even though it's still very intimidating and I'm still like, what the hell, you know, it's a lot. I also recognize that I do feel some sort of, even if it's a small bit, at least some sort of relief um, that I am not alone in it and that there is like reasons for this stuff. I'm not just like, you know, crazy or whatever. It ain't just like, oh, it's just you and your damn mental health. But it's like, no, there are some larger implications and some larger uh, components of this that you have to really look at and unpack and go through all of that. So. Yeah, So um, that is pretty much it I, I feel like I've been rambling for so long I always feel like I'm rambling when I do the solo episodes But this was something that I really wanted To talk to you all about um, I would love for us to be able to have a conversation About it um, I do plan on you know, circling back to it And if I can have listeners Either write Or call in Then um, we can continue The conversation and I just want to hear you all's Perspective on uh, historical trauma and intergenerational trauma and just what you think. It's its a big concept. It's a huge thing. Like, you know, it can be kind of just daunting. That's what I was looking for. It, it's daunting as hell to me, but um it's real. Like, this shit is impacting us, you know? So I want for us to be able to talk about it because as Black people, as Black radical people, as Black radical queer people, <laughs> uh, we are subjected to a myriad of, you know, oppression and the trauma that comes along with those things. So, you know, even our trauma is intersectional. And so I think that is very important that we really um that we talk about it and that we unpack it, um see what we need to do to have some type of healing as best as we can. So, yeah. So, um if you want to Talk about it, <laughs> you know, if you want to write me about it. Um, I have all kinds of ways that you can reach me. So you can email me. The email address is um blackratqueer at gmail.com. That's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-U-E-E-R. So queer is actually spelled out. Um, so that's the email address. You can um hit me up on Facebook. So I have the Facebook page, the black Rat Queer. Um, Black Radical Career Podcast Facebook page. You can comment on there. You can send me a message on there. Um, You can request to join the discussion group. All of that good stuff. Also, Instagram. So on Instagram, you can comment. You can slide in my DMs. All that is cool. Also, Twitter. You can definitely tweet me. And this is something that I will tweet about and just kind of get people's feedback on because I would love to circle back to it and really um, have insight from more people, you know, this is just me kind of sharing with y'all my process. And it's something that's, I've been thinking about, but it's also very fresh to me because I am like literally currently working through this in <laughs> therapy. Um, so it's, um, it's something that's been heavy on my mind, but I just, you know, want to know if, uh, if it's something that other people are thinking about and what you're doing to, to process it, to deal with it, have you had conversations with your family about trauma? Um, you know just all the kind of stuff. It's such a it's such a huge thing to me that it would just be I would really love to hear you all's uh, take on it. Okay, so I already mentioned Twitter, Instagram, so Twitter is BlackRatQueer, queer B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. Instagram is the same. Facebook is the same. The only thing different is the email. The email is the only one where queer is actually spelled out. Um, That's because I created it first before I thought up the whole QWR thing. (laughs) So um, that just is what it is. You can also call in. So I do have a Google voice number. You can call in, you can leave a message, or we can actually talk on the phone. um, If I'm, you know, not working or something like that at the time. But the Google voice number is 937-601-8647. 937-601-8647. 937-601-8647. So if you call in, you leave a message, I can include it on the episode. Um, you just talking about, you know, whatever you want to share, I uh, will drop that in. If you share something, if you like tweet me or you comment or something, I can read it on the episode. Um, you know, we, we got ways to, you know, have y'all all involved up in this mix <laughs> so that it's not just me. It's not just my voice, but our voices because it is our stories on our own terms. So um, yeah. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Um, I always say that, you know, I'm grateful for the support. I'm grateful for the audience. It's steadily growing, which is so exciting to me. I'm so glad that y'all uh, choose to tune in with me, <laughs> you know, kick it with me once a week or whatever. I hope to get to know you all better and engage with you more across social media um, you know, plenty of ways for us to connect because I do want this to be interactive. I do want it to be a conversation. I do want it to genuinely reflect our stories. Um, and I can't tell, you know, your story for you. So I welcome you to share it. I want to share it with the world. So, um, you know, hit me up and we'll make that happen. Um, yeah. Follow me across social media. Um, I still have merch. So the black radical queer, I have shirts and um, a mug. I've kind of narrowed it down to that stuff for now. I'll add more stuff later on. I think I may still have the hoodie up too. I have to check. Um, I think that's all. <laughs> I I can't really think of anything else. So yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you for listening. Um, Until next time keep it blackity black i don't know i need to think of something like catchy that i can actually say at the end of my episodes i just be like all right y'all i'm out you know real uh southern and country and stuff but i don't know i have to think of something that'll be like my little thing oh and also for the google voice number you can call in and leave um like a little tag or promo thing for me to add onto the beginning of my show so when you hear the song you hear um people talking or whatever just saying stuff like oh you know you're listening to brq you can do that i will add you um i'm here for that uh so yeah okay i'm done for real this time thank you for tuning in um you know y'all real real i appreciate it <laughs> and um yeah until next time bye y'all Black Radical Queer Podcast is all about intersectionality and black queer folks sharing our stories on our own terms. We navigate an array of identities and BRQ is an outlet where we can see the spectrum of those identities reflected, explored and celebrated. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javi Nicole, produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by publicity. You can find us on social media by looking up Black Rad Queer. It's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We are on um, Facebook as well as Instagram and Twitter. Same handle regardless at Black Rad Queer, B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We also have a Facebook discussion group that's just called BRQ Discussion Group. And you can also listen wherever you get your podcasts. So We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Play, you know, all those types of things. And we have, you know, our home base that's on Libsyn. So you can listen on there as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you come on back around next week to see uh, what we have for you. And all right, y'all, I'm out.